Listening to Caroline Cobb and her song Wonder. Caroline is trying to articulate that motherhood is something to wonder about. There's something majestic, mysterious, and even glorious about motherhood. And on this episode of Christians You Should Know, I sit down with Christy Britton, a mother, writer, and content editor for Acts 29, who helps us think about the vocation of motherhood in a more holistic approach. Christy, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I would like to say I ate something, but I didn't. I'm doing intermittent fasting because that sounds super fun. <laughs> so I didn't eat anything, but I'm anxiously awaiting lunch. <laughs> Me too. I, I'm doing intermittent fasting as Are well. You really? And I had a bubbly. I've got like, I think half of this left and a Diet Mountain Dew. That's what I've had this I morning. had coffee. I just didn't eat anything. Yeah. And I don't, I usually drink caffeine, but I, man, I woke up this morning. I need a little, little <laughs> pick me up. Um, but... For those of you that don't know you, tell us your story. Um, how did you get to where you are? Um, I think you know the main theme of this podcast episode today is why the vocation of a mother is so important. Mm-hmm. And if I had to epitomize one person who motherhood has been a job that they've taken seriously, but also treated it as like, hey, this is a career. Like, I'm going to raise incredible boys mm-hmm. and I'm going to commit to it. I think of you. So quite often. So wow. would love to just know your story of how you got to where you are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can connect that, the rest of the pieces to the listeners. Um, I'm from Deep South, Baton Rouge. And I uh, met my husband at college. And I uh, grew up with uh, wonderful parents, stayed together. Uh, my mom stayed home and, you know, raised us. We came home and there were snacks, you know, baked from the oven, you know, that kind of thing. And um, anyway, I met my husband at LSU. And we moved shortly thereafter to Slidell, which is on the North Banks, North Shore of New Orleans, and then Katrina happened after that, and that moved us to Kansas City, and so we're moving every few years and having baby. We had four kids. We have four boys, and within six years, and so my whole world was my kids for a good decade. Like, I really didn't do much besides potty train, nurse, you know, discipline, all of it, Um, and I loved it, absolutely loved it, and um, my husband wanted to come to seminary, so we ended up moving out here to, to Wake Forest. North Carolina to go to the seminary where he's completed his job and now he works for a nonprofit. And um, our kids are older now, and my youngest just turned 13. My oldest is about to turn 19 and head off to college. So uh, I am now transitioning out of a phase where I have been nonstop 24 7 all day on you know, all hands on deck to, I have a little more freedom in my schedule. And so it's allowed me to transition into working outside of the home and also balancing, you know, managing all of the home life as well. But, um, I don't know, it's a wild ride. I never would have pictured us here and with these kids and all boys. You know, a lot of my story is completely unexpected. And uh, I think a lot of it's based on the Lord opening doors that I didn't even think to knock on, honestly, like he did it. That's awesome. And you mentioned you have four boys. I do. So, man, I have one boy, and I can't imagine 
you know, him times, you know, three. Yeah. Plus, I mean, times four. I can't imagine that. Yeah. When Stephen and I were engaged, uh, we joked, like, wouldn't it be great to just have boys? Like, never dreaming that would happen. And we just both thought boys would be fun. And then, you know, God has done this thing where we have four boys and they're all teenagers and it's crazy. I bet they're all completely different. They really are. And I don't know how that happened either because I feel like we've done the same with all of them. Yeah. But um, they're unique and I don't know. They're good boys. I love them. Yeah. Crazy about them. Well, that being said, you've raised four boys who love Jesus. That That's a full-time job. <laughs> if, at first, if you can raise them, they don't die. <laughs> you know, my son's constantly trying to die, run out right. in front of the Survival's the, the goal. <laughs> yeah, so survival, but then they love Jesus. And so that just to me sounds like a full-time job of raising them helping them grow to love the Lord. Um, with that being said, how, how do you see and understand the vocation of motherhood um, as important and why it is a vocation and why mothers out there who are listening today should understand their role is not just, hey, I do whatever my husband doesn't do while he's out. Um, and actually, you may be a father. I say it on father mm-hmm. as well, but the mm-hmm. actual important role of parenthood and staying home and doing that. Well, I think intentionality is Absolute. Uh, if you think of how you would apply yourself to your career, there's a huge amount of intentionality involved. And so motherhood is an extension of that. Uh, I actually, I'm an editor, so words are really important to me. So I looked up vocation just to make sure we're talking about the same thing. And vocation is defined as a strong sense of suitability towards an occupation. And I actually laughed out loud because I'm like, <laughs> I don't have this strong sense of suitability about my competency as a mother. And I don't know many other women who are like standing on their laurels of how uh, capable they are, but I think as a as a Christian mom, uh, even the definition of vocation points us to Jesus because mm. we only have that strong sense of suitability when we have a good confidence in Him to do the work that He's begun in us. Like He does this work in us, and He says He will bring it to completion. So you know, vocation for me is a lot about confidence in the Lord. When we're looking at the actual definition, I think of that, but. Um, I think why it's important, like moms change the world. Yeah, uh, you right. know, we have this innate sense today. It's very glamorous to be like an influencer. We want to be world changers. And these are good things when rightfully aimed at the Lord. But um, what greater influence would you have than over children that you have nonstop access to for roughly 20 years mm-hmm. um, if the Lord gives you that? And so um, I just think that, you know, all these women out there just, you know, racking their heads trying to figure out how to rack up a platform and you know rack up followers and and be these influencers like if you want to change the world mama raise godly men and women and send them out into the world as uh, justice warriors as lovers of mercy as people who are compassionate toward the vulnerable as people who are fishers of men who are allegiant to Christ you know like that's how you change the world you raise kids that have uh, allegiances to a far better system than we have here and, and really are, are just proclamation people. Like we want them to share the hope that they have with the world. And so number one, we have to put the beauty of the gospel before them, right? And then number two, we, we train and equip them of how to, to share that with others. I think it's important to stop and hear the significance of what Christy is saying. Before we can understand the vocational role of motherhood, we must first understand the spiritual impact of motherhood. What seems like a mundane and laborious role in the life of a child actually has eternal implications that ultimately can reach the world for Christ. Listen to this encouraging conversation with Noel Piper about the role of a mother. Here's a good question. What was the most encouraging thing or one of the most encouraging things you remember hearing as a young mother? 
Well, I can't remember specifically one person saying something to me, but I can tell you a couple of things that really made a difference for me. And one, and, and I'm sure that came from being surrounded by wise women at church and good preaching and uh, what I read in the scripture. But um, one is that in the middle of the days that feel like there's nothing but wiping something up, a face, a nose, other parts of the body, <laughs> answering the phone, going back to the same thing and feeding, um, to stop and remember what's happening here eternally. Mm. That these are children that I want to grow up, to love the Lord and follow Him. And what I'm doing here is part of that big picture. Mm -hmm. So to have the, the long, more eternal view. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that at that same stage in life and for a while, to, you know, I, I would feel so much tied to home mm -hmm. or to the children or their, mm -hmm. to their schedules. And then to realize as time passes that there are chapters so when the first child goes to school, that changes things. And when all the children are in school, that opens up a lot of day that I didn't have. And so different chapters that open up new possibilities of ministry uh, that I might have been wishing for earlier. And that's good to know when you look ahead. Yeah, yeah. And they move faster and faster by, don't yeah. they? Yeah, I don't think God ever intended that we would do everything we're able to do at every point in our life. <laughs> Great and you know, you said something. I thought this is a you have twenty years that you could you know do a job. If you think about it, the, the average person may have four or five plus mm -hmm. job changes in their life of where they pour into something and then completely have to change fields. Yeah. You know, I was a friend of mine owns an insurance company and now has PhDs, doctors, and pilots interviewing to sell insurance because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, man, they have to learn completely different careers, invest completely mm -hmm. But with a child, you have a career that for 20 years you're investing yeah. in and that you have complete security because they're going to always be your kid. You're always going to be their they're mom. They're a captive audience. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so with that, you know, I think I heard the other day um, a mother say, you know, well, my job's really not that important compared to my husband's because uh, I just stay at home with the kids. Mm -hmm. And it made me so sad. And so what do you say to the mother who says, I don't feel like my vocation as a mother is important um, and how do you help them kind of transition out of that funk? Mm -hmm. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we only think of vocation in terms of compensation. Like That's vocation right. is not limited to a paycheck. Amen. Uh, you know, Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily like you are serving the Lord Christ. So I think it helps to keep a kingdom perspective that our work looks many different ways. I have a lot of different jobs I do, and some I get paid and some I don't. It doesn't make the jobs I don't get paid for any less valuable. It just means I don't get money for them. And so for a woman, we have to retrain, well, men, men too, like um, vocation is not just about compensation. So God has gifted women and op with opportunities to raise children, uh, given her skills, given her unprecedented access to the number of kids that he's given her, uh, both biologically and through uh, foster and adoption. And so um, I think it's a lie to believe that it's only about compensation. And I think uh, we as friends, neighbors, church members, family can do better to help women see their role as valuable, see it as true vocation. You are contributing to the good of 
society. This serves everyone, mm-hmm. right? We ultimately do this for the Lord, but we are serving our communities by investing in our home. And the world does everything possible to devalue and demean the work that comes in the home. Uh, there's nothing glamorous about sacrificing your desires and dreams in other areas to serve your children and then ultimately serve your your kingdom and your community. So um, I think I would love women to, to see a, a redeemed view of um, vocation that is not just tied to compensation. Yeah. And, you know, when you said that, I, the thought that comes into my head is being a mother is on purpose. Yeah. Like there is no accidents. There is no, if you believe that every human is created in the image of God, that every single, that life begins at conception, then there is no birth that is an accident and there's no person that becomes a mother that's an accident. So it's a job that's purposeful because it's already on purpose, right. sovereignly ordained by God to be on yeah. purpose. So um, I think that should automatically be like, well, if the Lord already said I'm a mother no matter what, I matter. Like I matter yeah. in the grand scheme of the story of Scripture. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I also, as I was thinking through this, um, you play a cool role in our church, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but the church and Christians, they could do a better job discipling mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll give two extremes, so um, I won't say any names, but my wife and I were involved in a small group at one point. We had been married for a short period of time and uh, literally like maybe four weeks. We show up to small group and the first question that was asked of her was, when are you going to have a baby and are you going to have a water birth? Whoa. And, <laughs> and she looked at me and like, you know, we need a safe word. We should have had a safe <laughs> word, like get me out of here. Like, because for her, so immediately motherhood became type of birth when are you going to get pregnant and then but it was, wasn't anything else in that moment for her so she then was like don't want to have a baby like <laughs> this is crazy and it was fascinating that, that one encounter for her yeah. uh shaped a lot and that really we had to walk through mm-hmm. uh because in that one church instance but i realized over time um we had another small group you know it's, it's not that small group's fault like that was just a <laughs> casual conversation yeah uh, that was really weird though uh if you know who you are that was a weird moment um but uh then going to another small group with a seasoned mom mm. um, who had raised kids and she thought about motherhood differently and I watched her passively disciple Karen uh, to be like hey it's okay don't carry this much weight of yourself like you're going to be all right and I remember seeing the monumental difference that made now that Karen is a mother so for you how do you think the church could do a better job discipling um, creating purpose value and also you know seeing the future uh, that they have this 20 year discipleship yeah. that they're going to get to have with children mm-hmm. This is a, this is a really good question, but um, I think that um, teaching a woman that her highest calling is to be a mother can be harmful because mm-hmm. what of the single woman? What of the woman who is unable to have children? What of the woman who's had children and lost them? And so if we only teach women that their highest calling is to be mothers, and again, I say that with great respect for the calling and embracing that it is a high calling, but it is not our highest calling. That's right. Like our highest calling is to make much of Christ. That's right. And motherhood is a way that we do that. And it is a wonderful and glorious calling. So I don't want to demean it in any way, but it is not all that we are. It's not all that we do. And ultimately, uh, we're here to, to proclaim Christ, to make much of him. And we can do that through motherhood. But I think we could do a much better job with uh, teaching women that 
you know, that's not the end all of your life. It is a huge part of it. It's not everything. Um, in terms of discipling mothers themselves, like I think uh, we talked about intentionality when we started, but even urgency in that calling because we have an enemy and he hates our children. Mm-hmm. And this should raise the ire of all the mama bears that we stand, you know, in front of our children. We protect them. And knowing confidently that Jesus has already defeated him, that the battle is won. We just haven't seen the, the full reality of that. But we have an enemy who hates them. He wants their destruction. He wants us to fail. He wants our destruction. And so equipping women with a steady diet of the scriptures, um, helping them to have that long view that, you know, this is a 20-year gig, you know, give or take, um, you know, helping them to persevere and do the hard work. It is hard work. Uh (laughs) It is exhausting mentally, spiritually, physically, all of it. And it's one that's best done within community. You know, we all help one another. That's the beauty of living in covenant community in a local church, right? Um, So I think that we can help women with the scriptures to know how to combat the devil and his lies, to give women courage to live counterculturally and do the hard work when a a whole world is in their ear all day long telling them it's not important work. Um, And then also have a better message that this is one way that you make much of Christ, but it is not all that you make much of Christ with. Christy is making an important distinction about motherhood that you don't want to miss. To quote Christy, the highest calling of a mother is to make much of Christ. Christy is highlighting the most important fact about motherhood, that a mother is a Christian and child of God first. As a mother or as a Christian or even as a person, our most vital role is to be a Christian and theologian first. But as mothers and busy people, how do we become better theologians in the midst of our busyness? Listen to these encouraging words by Gloria Furman on how can a busy mom become a better theologian. Uh, The great theologian Ratatouille, the cartoon rat, once said, if you are what you eat, then I only want to eat the good stuff. Uh, And I think that's true uh, for busy moms who want to be good theologians. Um, There are so many things out there. It is very hard to discern uh, what is worth your time and what's not. You have such little limited time and then limited brain cells with which to focus on reading and studying and learning. Um, If you are what you eat and we are consuming words every day, we're consuming, consuming words. God made us to live on the bread of life. He made us to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So in your limited time, very precious time, focus on the good stuff. Focus on God's word. Study the Bible. Take big chunks, big portions of scripture and just work on them. Work hard. Don't settle for little sound bites that aren't going to get you very much hope. They're, um, It's so important to have this big picture in mind. I would recommend, and I recommend this to so many women um, who have, even if you have limited time, it's worth losing sleep over this. Uh, It really is. If you could sit down and and just get some really big picture um, books in your mind, some, some commentaries, some big picture things, just plow through it and then sit down and read your Bible. And all of that short time that you have will be that much more meaningful because you can see the big picture that, that big story is running through the back of your mind all the time while you're reading these smaller portions throughout your day. Uh, it'll become that much more meaningful. It won't be disjointed to you. It'll be um, something that can serve you and feed you and food for the long haul uh, in your busy life. Now that your boys have grown, we were just talking about your eldest going to NC State, mm-hmm. which is wild to me to Go think, back. Uh, think about <laughs> that. But yeah, now that your boys are grown, mm-hmm. um, 
you serve in a lot of roles, uh, two uh, two roles, discipleship coordinator for our church, Mongo Day Church, but also mm-hmm. content um, creator and content, content editor. editor for mm-hmm. uh, Acts 29, mm-hmm. um, which is a huge role because um, they shell out a lot of content. We do a lot of content. <laughs> a lot of content. Um, and I think about you use the word influencer before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so funny to me. Uh, there's this, I really hate it. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of moms who are like, oh, my only quick way to my next purpose is becoming an influencer on Instagram and talking about how hard it is to be a mom and then do a couple cool products a week. And I was just like, wow, that's great. And I know some really incredible moms. Um, one of the people we hope to interview, Naptime Kitchen, phenomenal social influencer who I, I really think she kind of stumbled into it. wasn't intentional as much as um, you see a lot of people. But I think to myself, like, no, there's actually something exciting about how this one chapter of your life hasn't ended, mm-hmm. but it's turned into something different. And like you said, your only purpose and your highest calling is not just to be a mother. And you have other vocations that mm-hmm. you're working through. So talk through that transition. Um, how can other moms who are also in this same process, who it feels like they will never stop doing anything but potty training and diapers <laughs> and that process, to kind of look to the future that, hey, things can kind of transition um, and you can do more. You can do things that are different. Mm-hmm. Um, my transition was a little bumpy because all I knew was stay at home mom with all the kids. And then as they're aging, you know, they're, you know, aging and my time becomes more free. I realize I do have these opportunities before me. I do have gifts that God's given me. And I think they're, as the word says, like to be used to build up the church. And so, uh, honestly, God began opening doors to me again. I didn't, I didn't, excuse me, find that I was like knocking on any doors, but uh, people would just reach out and say, hey, I know you have the skill. You're very organized. Would you consider this? And then um, I started writing. I've always, I'm just a nerd and love to read and write. And so I had free time and I could do it from home. And so I started writing and um, started establishing relationships with other editors and they would help me because I didn't know what I was doing. And then that has, uh, you know, evolved into this job came open at Acts 29. And um, again, someone reached out to me asked me to apply. I did. And it was interesting because this was the biggest job. It had the most hours. It was a big responsibility. And uh, I went into it feeling very unqualified, honestly. And I'm at my interview and I'm interviewing with a man and a woman and the interview went great. And I thought we were done. And the guy asked me one final question is, is there anything else we should know about you? And four faces flashed through my mind of my boys. And I just said, like, here's the deal. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to work as hard as I can. And I want this job and I want to do it well. But my kids just come first. That's just the deal with me. And if they need me, I will ditch you in a heartbeat to be with them. And I just want you to know that. And if that's not okay, <laughs> tell me now. Like, I just want to all be clear that we're on the same page. Obviously, they hired me. And uh, I think a woman's commitment to her children and her family is a plus in mm-hmm. the workforce because it shows that we're capable of fierce commitment. It shows that we're not just flippant, that, you know, we're capable of, of working hard and doing the things. So um, I think that actually doesn't have to hurt women. Like I feel like there's a fear of being so unabashedly pro Mm -hmm. committed to your children in terms of jobs that I think it works for you, not against you. But um, I don't know. I feel like the Lord has just constantly protected my path and opened doors for me. Uh, He's given me opportunities and he's given me skills. And then I've also worked hard to improve upon them, you know, just as I can. And for women considering the transition, you know, as you're able to into different pursuits, I would say consider your giftings, consider the opportunities open to you. I mean, a lot of it's opportunity, honestly. Um, I would say consider kingdom impact. You know, if, again, we're here 
to make much of Christ, you know, does this opportunity afford you that um, ability? Does it help you do that? Does it detract from you doing that in other ways? Like you really have to to consider these things. I also have a great husband. He is the true and better Britain, and uh, <laughs> he is for me and all my endeavors, and just has created an environment at home where I can thrive. And so he supports everything that I do, and he helps because we're now both fully working and raising four teenagers. And so you know we're doing all the chores together. We're, we're a team. Like we work together for the good of our family and ultimately for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. But it helps having a partner who doesn't see it as I'll pick up the slack because you've right. got this side gig as I'm a full partner in this. That's and right. I cook sometimes and I sweep and I clean the showers and I run the kids to doctor's appointments. Like we're a team and you have to have that. I agree. And I was about to transition there. I wish we would have started with this question because it's a good start question. But I think there's, you know, there's people listening to this and they're like, well, hold on a second. When are they going to talk about moms who don't want to stay home and husbands don't want to stay home? Um, is that possible? Is it okay? Is it wrong? Is it right? I think that's the wrong question. Um, I think what you were just addressing is one of the most crucial parts is first in your home, have a team. Um, one of the most valuable things I think I ever did for Karen and I's marriage was uh, right when she got pregnant with Hayes, she said, I really want to still have a career i really want and not not that motherhood again is not a vocation but the job she was working she's like i really want to do this thing and i said no problem we'll make it possible for that and it was one of the best decisions ever because then her decision to come home be a stay-at-home mom was her own um she she was her own human like when she made it uh she wasn't like hey i'm commanding you i'm some you know (laughs) fierce husband that's forcing submission to like stay at home and Do that instead. It was like, no, we're a team. Mm-hmm. So as a team player, like, do you think this is what's best for the team? And uh, it was amazing that how mentally that helped her make the shift so much easier because it's something she wanted to do. She did go back full time work. Was we were juggling that, and it worked out. It worked out well, I think, for a long period of time. But I know that there's some mothers listening who are asking that question. Okay, so if I'm a mom um, that's working full time and my husband's working full time. How do I think through this? Um, how can I still see motherhood as my other job? You know, that's great and valuable because this podcast is strictly for for mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have we have some other podcasts throughout um, our series that talk about the value of women as a whole. And so this isn't just simply about women. This is actually about motherhood and the value of it. So I would love to hear from you. How about women who are in different life life places? So there's single moms maybe mm-hmm. who have to work to survive and to let their kids survive. There's also husband and wife units that they also both have to work. And and there's also women who they actually want to work because they want to follow the career path that they were on before becoming a mother. How do you walk through kind of that and help them understand that all are valuable and Mm -hmm. they're just different? Valuable but different. Um, It goes back to we're here to make much of Christ, and we do that across a spectrum of things. My good friend and neighbor is a single mom with a son, and coronavirus has been a real challenge for her because she is essential services, and she also has a third grader. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, her experience and my experience are vastly different. And, you know, as good neighbors, you know, we try to help her in any way that we can. But uh, I know that, you know, it will look differently on her and me. She would love to be able to stay home, but she's not able to. Um, that being said, I mean, she has a really awesome job and, and I, I love what she gets to do with it. But um, I think it's going to, I think dads are a huge part of this conversation. Yeah. Like, I couldn't do what I, what I did in my case without Stephen being fully on the, 
I'm a partner. I'm not someone who just does what you don't have time to do today. So usually in the evenings, we kind of map out what the next day looks like and we divide up responsibilities and go. <laughs> and I mean, today we have schedules and we're, we're doing what we need to do. Um, but I think you have to look at it as a partnership. You have to look at it as the good of your family, the good of your community. I mean, ultimately the good of the Lord and, and how can you best work together to, to accomplish those things. This episode of Christians You Should Know is sponsored by Honest Car Payment. In a world where buying a car is often misleading and dishonoring to God, Honest Car Payment has created a redeeming way to buy and refinance a car. Just listen to Aku and Lynette's story in Hawaii as they interacted with Honest Car Payment. Aloha, I'm Aku, and this is my wife, Lynette, and we're from Kalihi. When we first bought our Nissan Frontier, we thought we had a good deal, but yet we were wrong. Our interest was 24%. We called Honest Car Payment and got a new loan right away. We saved over $18,000. That type of money is going to change our life. If your car payment is too high, don't settle. You have options. Call Honest Car Payment today at 534-1234 or visit honestcarpayment.com. You know, I think one of the things that's it's definitely an evidence of the fall is that there's this guilt that because mothers maybe at times aren't getting this, uh, what's Leave it to Beaver's mom's name, uh, whatever it is. I don't know. You know, Leave it to Beaver, <laughs> I, that's all I can think about is this picture of- I'm not that old either. You know, oh, oh well, they're staying at home, you know, picturesque yeah. TV mom. Mm-hmm. They've been at home all day. They've done things. They've looked at a magazine. It's just picture perfect. Husband comes home, meatloaf. It's always meatloaf, and I hate meatloaf. Uh, I don't know why it's always meatloaf. But then, you know, I think for the outside world, they're looking at it and going, that's just not real. Mm-hmm. That's just not real, and I can't be that. So then there's that level of guilt, but then there's a the level of guilt of moms who truly, they wish mm-hmm. they could be home, but also moms who say, you know, I love my my son and daughter, but I actually want to have a job. And so I think there's, there's so many different varieties of moms um, and they're all valuable, and they're all important. And I don't think either any of them are wrong or sinful. They're all different, and they all have different places of life, different places of time. So how do you help a mom think through that, that transition of we got this crazy fake reality that's not real, which is the TV reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just not real. Um, but then we got this other reality mm-hmm. of the expectation um, that I think people set improperly, which you started with earlier, that the church is like, Hey, your highest calling is mm-hmm. to be a stay-at-home mom, do it well. So I think both of those two extremes mm-hmm. are not right. right. And uh, so how do you help someone deal with that as they focus to maybe some guilt and also some questioning? Mm-hmm. Well, I think <laughs> that was exactly what I was going to say is that false narrative of your highest calling is this and only this is damaging to the women, particularly who wish they could participate in this, you know, leave it to Beaver-esque, which is a wholeheartedly untrue as having lived that for years. There's nothing super glamorous about it. Um, But it is damaging to them because they do feel less than. They do feel like they're somehow missing what they're supposed to be doing when the reality is not all women are afforded the opportunity to do this. And God has absolutely placed women in different fields, um, some through circumstances and some through just desires and giftings that he's given them. And so it's very damaging to just tell women you're only created for this one role. And if you don't do it, you are somehow less than, and you should feel shameful that you don't do this because this is what we're telling you. That's not helpful. And so if we redirect the conversation back to what are we really here for and how do we do that, you know, it has multiple manifestations and we need to raise a generation that's loud about that and, you know, not adding to this false narrative of you have to do this and only this to be what we consider to be a godly woman. 
That's right. That's right. And in closing, you brought up uh, Stephen, um, who you called the true and better Britain. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> but um, Stephen, uh, great guy, but I loved how you said husbands are important too. They're the part and part of this equation. And I think, you know, um, I started thinking about the, the lack of accountability, um, not only in the church, but in culture of the male role, mm-hmm. which is statistically um, why we have so much crime, violence, um, is the absence of fathers mm-hmm. and the absence of dads and husbands and all those pieces. And so um, what would you have to say? So there's the husbands listening to this right now who are trying to process um, how to be in there, be that team partner. Because mm-hmm. it's easy, again, let's go back to Leave it to Beaver. It's easy <laughs> to go uh, to Leave it to Beaver and then um, Tim the Toolman Taylor of let me <laughs> let me sit in my recliner. Yeah. I've worked hard all day, mm-hmm. you know, serve me food or or even the other extreme of I'm going to work hard and be gone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you stay home and do that job. So not diminishing the role, but there's two extremes there of um, expectations that the wife picks up everything at the house mm-hmm. or expectations that I'm going to be gone. And so the two extremes leave still the wife alone um, yeah. and motherhood um, being done alone. How do you how do you help the husbands maybe think through that as? A mother and a, and I would say a team that's done it pretty yes. well. Uh, men, you don't get a pass. That's right. <laughs> These are your children. One thing I just cringe every time I hear a man say is that he's babysitting his children, mm. so his wife can you know do whatever. I'm like, you don't babysit your own children. Like you are raising them. Uh, so I do think you know. Unfortunately, there is this uh, idea in society that men are very secondary in the home, and I think it has harmed culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think when you have men that are present in the home and raising actively their sons and daughters, you definitely see a lot of these problems that you mentioned uh, decline. Um, But I think men are given the opportunity to solely focus on their family because they know that a wife, I mean, on their careers because they know that the wife will take care of the home. And that is a great way that women and men can work together, but it's not the only way. And so uh, I think men need to recognize that, um, A, your wife probably needs your help, Uh, not because she's super incapable, but because it's a really hard job. And B, like your job is not only your career, like family is vocation at the same time. Like this is a calling we all have. And I don't know why men aren't told their highest calling is fatherhood, (laughs) like why that would only apply to a woman. But uh, I think it is only good for families, the church, society at large when men are actively present at home. And so my husband has no expectation that I'm going to pick up after him all the time. I'm happy to do it when I'm free. But he knows he has to pick up after himself. And we both cook. We both clean. We both run errands. Um, You know, we both disciple our children, which is a huge part of father's role in the home. And, you know, I'm able to help him in that as well. So I think that fathers need to recognize that this isn't like their their side gig, their number two job. Like they have to have intentionality as well. And it's good for them to raise sons who see their father behaving this way. It's good for them to raise daughters who understand this is what a man does. This is how he cares for his family and his wife. Like, again, everything we do, we have to be thinking of the generation behind us watching us because we're shaping them. And so we want to send them out as men and women who take care of their families, who raise them, who disciple their children. Like, we do that through modeling. It's a lot of it's verbal teaching, but, you know, they're going to learn by what you do more than what you say. And so a dad that's always gone or that when he's home, he's always watching the ball game or playing a video game. Uh, This doesn't serve his children well, and the cycle will be repeated, you know, throughout his generations. 
And so his legacy is really harmful if that's how he views his role in the family. I agree. And one of the best things that happened to me, I was 18, 19 years old, and uh, I had a pastor who we were in a small group together, and there was a single mom. And uh, he's like, hey, listen. And, and uh, this single mom, it was really tough. She worked a hard job. Um, but he's like, we're going to take those boys for ice cream. He said, because if their dad's not going to pour into their life, we will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love the fact that he just said he knew with the absence, of the, the absence of the father being in their life that, hey, they can know Jesus, one, and have a father. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, that let the church help fill that mm-hmm. role. And so if you are listening to this and you're a single mom, mm-hmm. um, let's seek out, ask for godly men in the church to fulfill the role of helping your children grow to love Jesus by getting them plugged in to church. Mm-hmm. Um, finding out every mentorship opportunity they can get that's connected to youth group, whatever it is. But um, some of the most valuable men in my life, while my dad and I are close, best friends, were men who just saw it upon themselves to say, I'm going to disciple this kid every time I get around him. Even if it's, hey, you want to go hunting and go get in a deer stand and ask questions about life, like how do you think through life, Mm -hmm. or um, just go hang out, play basketball. So I would encourage men, step up. Mm -hmm to see single mothers, see split homes of where the child's going to be with the dad, and you may never meet the father, um, but the one time you may get to interact is at church with him. Um, take upon yourself to disciple him. But, Chris, this has been awesome. Thank you. Uh, my favorite, I think, line is, dads don't babysit. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Karen calls it, we, uh, that we call it, we got haze. So Karen's like, I got haze right now. Um, mainly because this is like, it's man-on-man defense. Yeah. You know, so... Um, so I got Hayes. Got um, I get the pleasure of having Hayes um, tomorrow. So yeah, uh, I'm excited, but I will remove the word babysitting from Please my vernacular. Do. But thank you, Christy. <laughs> thank thank you. you for work and the truth and pointing us to Jesus, making him big. Um, that's the hope and purpose of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Thanks so for much. having me. <laughs> First, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a mother, I hope you heard and now believe that what you do matters. Your role as a mother impacts not only your children, but the world around you. But also know that this role doesn't singularly define you. As Christy stated so beautifully, the chief purpose of our existence is to make much of Jesus. And after that, there is endless possibilities of what you can do with your life to glorify the Lord and lead a fulfilling life. For everyone else listening, I hope you took away that we all matter and each play a vital role in the kingdom of God. I'm Ethan Drum, and this is Christians You Should Know.